I have the pleasure to uh, introduce a guy this morning that's going to speak to us. He's one of three guys that if it weren't for them, I probably wouldn't be in ministry. So you can talk to him later, depending on how you feel about that out in the, in the commons. Um, he is, was here speaking to uh, a conference. He has written many books, uh, I think 60-something. He probably doesn't even know. Um, so we have a big treat to have him here today. He's uh, the lead pastor of a church on Kauai. And uh, if you want one of his latest books, he has some um, out on the table that you can pick up. It's a great, great book. Um, Rick has the habit of holding up a mirror to you and kind of viewing your Christianity. So their books are always really annoying, but uh, always very beneficial. So please welcome my good friend, Rick Bunchu. Thank you. All right. Hey, it's good to be with you guys. I'm, um, I'm actually not the lead pastor. We threw that thing away a long time ago. Um, and I'm actually here with the lead pastor, um, which is Dane Spore. And he's the lead pastor because in our hotel room, we had to have two, two rooms. And I had to share the room with somebody else. And he got the single room. So he's now lead pastor. Um, that's how we decide those kind of things where we come from. I'm, I'm actually a part of a pastoral team uh, at Kauai Christian Fellowship. Any of you guys been to Kauai? Yeah, okay, all right. So um, we're, we've been, uh, we're on penance duty. We had to come to Seattle uh, to see how... <laughs> actually, actually, for me, it's really a lot of fun to come to a, a new place, um, because it, especially on a Sunday morning, to come to a new church on Sunday morning, because, frankly, on Sundays, I don't get out much. Um, and so when we get a chance to do that, we bail. And I, who is running it. I don't remember. Um, somebody's running it back there, but um, we come and we take notes. You know, we, we see how you do stuff. And the stuff we like, we steal. And the stuff we, we don't like, we go home and brag at how good we are. You know, I mean, and over the years, you know, whenever I've had a chance to get out, I've had some really interesting experiences in different churches, in different places, sometimes in different places around the world, where we had the opportunity to be. And, and it's interesting how, how we do things a lot alike, some of the same songs, and some of them, whoa, that's really, really different. Uh, and, and even right down to simple stuff, you would think that pretty much everybody does it the same way. Like, say, the offering, you know? You'd think everybody takes the offering the same way. But you ever notice some places, they use like a pole with a little basket on it, and they, they run the pole down, you know? That's because they don't trust you to hold the basket, and they can yank it away. Um, I was at a church once, I was at a church once that, believe it or not, it was a really cool, I was the only white guy in the church, okay, it was African-American church, um, here in America, and um, I was the only white guy in there, and I was going to be with, guest with these guys for a couple weeks, and uh, on Sunday morning, they had, I swear to you, the best piano player I've ever heard in my whole life was, was playing, it was great gospel music, and the way they did their offering, the pastor got the offering plate, and he stood up in the front, and when the, when the piano started pounding, everybody's singing, and they get up, and they all got out of their, their pews, their rows, and they walked down, and they put their money into the plate that the pastor's holding. All right? So I follow everybody down. Take my offering, throw it in, get back to my seat. Get back to the music still going. The pastor looks at the plate, shakes it, gives it a signal. Whoa, we do it again, you know? <laughs> I'm out. 
So I went up to the front. And I just... Three times. Three times. Those guys all knew the, the shtick, you know? And so they were, you know, one in some pocket, one in another. You know, I, I dumped mine the first run. And so... It was different. Might want to try that one here. Oh, wait. You guys, you're not going to get out of those things. You're stuck. Some of you know. Not, we took a bunch of our guys went on a surf trip. Our churches, uh, part of our leadership thing, we actually amended First Timothy and Titus, where it has leadership qualifications, and added a verse that says, and thou must surf. Um, so to be on leadership, you have to be a surf guy. And so we took a whole bunch of our guys, 12 of us went down to Samoa, and we took over a surf camp in Samoa. And we happened to be there on Sunday. So we scouted out a church. We thought we'd go to church with the Samoans. Check out the Samoans did it. Weirdest thing, they, the whole message was in the Samoan language. I don't get it. Um, but they, they did it in Samoan. And, and the way that we did it, we were in line to go to church. And we're dressed like surf casual, you know, Aloha shirts and shorts and stuff. Because that's how everybody was dressed in Samoa, except when they go to church. Tie suits, you know, whoa, we're so underdressed, it was embarrassing, but, you know, that's all we had. So we're in line, and the way they did it when they came, they took your name, okay, sir, stand in line, your name, sir, okay, take your name, and then there was an offering plate right there. All right, that makes things easier. So we put our offering in that, and we go into church, and, and pretty much we didn't understand anything. I'm looking at the architecture, and, you know, beautiful music, they, did, they had some little crummy Casio keyboard, that was it. And, but everybody could sing like crazy, so it was very enjoyable. I kind of I got the songs, same songs, different, different uh, language. But all of a sudden, about three-quarters of the way through the thing, the pastor gets up, and he starts talking, and I'm, I don't, can't understand what he's saying. And all of a sudden, I hear a name. Make Wilman, $25. Well, Mike Wilman's the guy standing next to me, you know. Ken Biss. $30. What's going on? Rick Bunchu, $3. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> they're, they're reading our name and how much we gave. And they've been reading everybody. And people are like applauding when they. And, and I just shrunk, you know? Because frankly, we'd only tipped them that morning, you know? We'd just gone in and, you know, throw 20 bucks in and, and we just tipped them. The pastor had all of us over for dinner that night to his, um, Fala, Fala is like an outdoor patio thing that they have there. He had this big, massive dinner, and he said to us, you know what? In the whole history of our church, we've never had a greater Sunday of giving than this Sunday. We're just going. So I talked to Matt, and starting next Sunday, when you come in, there'll be um, somebody out there. <laughs> I wonder what that would be like, huh? I wonder how many of you would show up if you knew that was going to happen. And that's why I'm here to talk about the thing that Matt ran away because he didn't want to be here when I talked about it. <laughs> and you think I'm joking. Um, I'm going to talk to you about money. What God says about money. Okay? And by the way, just so you know, it's, it's a really tricky thing in a church. Even everything, everything from even how a church gets the resources to do it. Did you know 200 years ago that the way a church would have got it, they would have never passed an offering plate. Never passed an offering plate. Instead, you paid, if you're part of the church, you paid for the seat that you sat in. Okay? And if it was in this church, um, the very expensive seats would be in the back and in the corners. 
these would be really cheap, you know? But they figured out where people want it, and literally, the more desirable the seat, the higher it costs you to sit there, and you, sit, you bought a block of seats for your family, and, and you paid for that. How many of you knew that? Okay, a few of you guys knew that, right? So that's how they did that, and they had a pauper's bench. If you didn't have any bucks, that's where you sat, okay? And it was really controversial, and people didn't think that was cool. They didn't like, they didn't like how it favored the rich, and the poor were sort of, you know, just by where they had to sit, were picked out. And, and they changed it. But the, the church has always had a hard time dealing with the whole issue of money. In fact, in our culture, it's particularly acute. Money for Christians and money for a church is sort of like your underwear drawer. You can go there, but everybody else stays out. You know? It's the little unmentionables of the church. Things that, that, yeah, we know, we got it, we all do it, we all deal with it, but... We don't really want to talk about it, and it's sort of embarrassing to talk about it. But, you know, it's not really cool to talk about it. And part of it is because the, the world says, well, darn church, all they want is your money. That's why you're here. It's a big sucker's bet. We're just trying to get to your wallets, you know. But, you know, Jesus, if you go out and count the subject matter that he dressed in the Gospels, spoke about money more than any single subject in the New Testament. He didn't talk about cohabitation. He didn't talk about drunkenness. He didn't talk about homosexuality. He didn't talk about all kinds of hot-button issues for us. He talked about money. And yet, for us, it's kind of a spooky subject. And because I'm your guest speaker, I can say things and then go home. Right now, I'm, I'm hoping somebody's at my church talking about money because it's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing for a pastor to do because it's sort of you know like yeah, okay, I see what side your bread your bread is buttered on. Now, we as Christians, we have a different cur- we live life with a different currency than the world. We really do. Money to us does not mean the same thing, or it ought not mean the same thing, as to people outside of our community of faith. I actually walk around, and, and, and I've only been sharing this for a little while that I do this, but I actually walk around, um, and in my wallet, I always carry, it is in here someplace, I tried to pay for something with it the other day just to see what the girl would do, um, but I carry a 1,000 yen note, okay, 1,000 yen note. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, but it only buys you a bowl of saimen or something in, in Japan. It's, it's not really worth that much, but I carry it around because, you know, over in Japan, There are people fretting about getting more of these. They're worried about these. They're they're going and working long hours to get more of these. They're stressing about it. They're they're going in debt for more of these. But here, this ain't worth nothing. Nothing. I can't go to any store and hand them this and get anything except a weird look. It's worth nothing here because it's not our currency. And the currency that we deal with as believers is the currency of the kingdom of heaven. Okay? And we use money kind of like we would use monopoly money. It's part of the game. It's part of the game. But we know that in the end, the currency of the kingdom that we deal in outweighs the little monopoly money that's got George Washington, Abe Lincoln, Ben Franklin on it. Okay? 
But a lot of times we start thinking that that, that that stuff has real value. When it doesn't. It really doesn't. It's just part of the game that we live in. And, and the things that motivate us, what we really ought to be spending our time, energy, and focus on is the currency of the kingdom, which informs how we deal with the monopoly money. It's called the U.S. dollar. And that's kind of the context I want to give to you this morning. So join me in a word of prayer, and then let's, uh, let's get some heavy lifting about money. Yours, mine, and everybody else's who believe. Father, just ask right now that... Um, you would, like, you would allow us to pry in to those really private things. You, you would open up the drawers of our lives, the things that we don't really want to talk about, the kind of embarrassing things, the things that we consider personal, none of anybody's business, but they're yours. And speak to us about the things that are yours and how we as believers ought to deal with those things that you've given us. So we invite you here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, money is interesting because I, I've always believed that, that while we are converted as a Christian, we're converted in pieces, you know? In other words, when you became a Christian, you didn't suddenly just become the most godly person in the universe. There are parts of you that got converted really fast. Maybe it was your language, you know? You dropped F-bombs all the time and you cleaned that all up. Maybe it was your certain behavior and you stopped doing something, you know? Stop going to bars or parties or using whatever the deal is. I mean, we, we, certain things clean up really fast. But other things about us take a while to convert. And the longer you're a Christian, the more you realize there's these big chunks of your life they haven't been converted in yet. God's hammering away on them. And frankly, it's my experience that probably the last thing to convert on a person is their wallet. Okay. We don't want that convert. That's just fine. Leave it alone, Jesus. But God's always, he's the consummate pickpocket. You know? And he will go after that thing you're trying to hide from him. We just came back from Italy. My wife was trying to hide her money because she read all these horror stories about pickpockets in Italy. She was trying to hide money in places that lights never shined. And I'm going, look, there is no way anybody's going to ever reach in there. You know? And a lot of us are like that with our money. We're trying to hide it from God's greedy, grasping hand. But he's going to get it. But it's oftentimes the last thing. Because what comes with money is really sometimes things we don't want to face. Money has moral implications. Moral and spiritual implications in our life. I'm going to give you something to talk about over lunch. Okay? Experience I had. And I've been so much angst about it that I thought I'd give you some of the angst. Um, I, had a, I had some time between catching a plane. I was in Honolulu. And Honolulu has one of these gold-plated malls. It's 90% Japanese tourists there, but it's a gold-plated mall with all the high-end stores. And I had time to kill, so I thought I'd wander around this mall. And I'd already been to the Apple store and, and you know, sinned by coveting a lot. And, um, and so I had some, uh, you know, what am I going to do? And... and I noticed these stores, and I'd always seen them in high-end malls, but I'd never been in one. These stores that only sell like a few handbags, a couple, you know, just a couple models. And I go, how do, they, how do they afford the rent? What's in there, anyhow? So I went in, and I'm looking around, 
He's got only just a small selection of handbags on these little platforms on the wall. And I walk up and I pick up this handbag. I'm just curious, how much is a how much does a handbag cost in a store like this? And I'm trying to find a price tag and and, and the and the um, gal working in the store comes floating up behind me. Can I help you, sir? Yeah, I'm, I, I can't find a price tag on this. Oh, here it is. And she unzips it. It's on a little golden thread. She goes, this, this model. And she said it like, like somebody who takes a little bit of pride knowing that there are models of handbags, you know. This model costs $3,000. <laughs> I said, dollars? Like it was pesos or something, you know. Um, <laughs> and I go, oh, thank you. She saw, you know, she saw my eyes dilating. So, you know, she just kind of knew this guy's, you know, we got a bump, country bumpkin here. You're not going to buy nothing. And thank you. I put it carefully back on the shelf. And I started to go out the door. And then something, you know, okay, like gigs up. She knows I'm not a customer, you know. And it's like, okay, can you explain to me? What? How does a purse, something you put keys and lipstick and doodads in, how do, how do you get, how do you charge $3,000 for that? I mean, is it got like diamonds somewhere or did Joan of Arc take it to the stake with her? I mean, what's the deal with it, you know? And she starts on this, this big explanation of these Corinthian leathers and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just going, whoa. But my mind is already going someplace else. And I, as I left the store, I'm thinking to myself, okay. As a believer, as a believer, I know there are tons of people in my church, in the, in the world. I, I'm from San Diego. I live 20 minutes from Tijuana. You know, I've, I've walked the back hills of Tijuana over and over again, seen people, you know, whole families living in eight by eight shacks with, with you know, no nothing but dirt on the floor, drinking mosquito larva filled water. I know there's people in insane poverty all around the world. As a Christian, could I justify $3,000 on something to hold lipstick, wallets, and, and doodads? Could I justify that? Could I stand before the God of the universe and go, God, I spent $3,000 that you gave me on a purse. I'm going, no, man, I... There's no way I could justify it. Maybe some of you can, but I couldn't. I couldn't. Okay, so $3,000 is out. And a little voice inside said, what about $1,000? Oh, no, that's for a person. Oh, no, no, no. Well, what about $500? If it was like the only purse your wife was going to get and it was going to last, well, for the next five years without breaking a good quality $500. Well, okay, let me do the math. Well, if, if the purse is about 100 bucks and they break every year and... Well, maybe. And you can see where that kind of conversation goes. By the end of it, I was going, you know, the only thing I can really justify is a 295 tote, you know, canvas tote. That's it. And, and, but the, the thing is, is that I'm a guy. I'm not going to buy purses. I don't have to think about that kind of thing. I don't have to struggle on, on what, what would be God's will on extravagant purchases that, that aren't really needed or just there for fashion or just there to make you feel good or, or just because you can. I don't have to struggle with purses. I got other things I got to struggle with. You know, how many doodads do I need in a car? What kind of car do I really need? 
That's the kind of purchases that I have to work through. But what I will say is this, is that, that there are moral implications to what we buy. And this is particularly true to those of us Americans. By the way, if you want to find this moral implication, you can find it in the book of James, which these girls are about to quote for me. No, just kidding, I didn't give you an advance warning. Um, <laughs> James 2, starting with 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, ah, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? The same way faith by itself, not accompanied by actions, is dead. Someone will say, I have faith and has, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. James sets up this, this hypothetical situation. You have people that are in need. What do you do about it? And the oil, the, 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 the fuel that does something about it is very often money. So it has heavy moral implications. And, and not only that, but Jesus on the, on the teaching on the least of these at the end of time you stand before me. And we're going to be accountable for what we did or didn't do with those people that are suffering in the world. And we have, we have the ability to do something about it. The parable of Lazarus, and, and as they call him, dives. That's not his name in the New Testament. But the, 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 the poor man that was suffering and the rich man that drove by him every day are all part of Jesus' teaching that have to say, your money has moral implications. That's why I believe this. I believe it's the duty of every family of faith to be making sure that some other family of faith, some other person, some other kid doesn't go to bed hungry tonight. And you know what? You can do that. And if you don't already have a kid on your refrigerator or two or three of them, you know, from compassion or world vision or something, shame on you. Shame on you. You go, well, I have a part-time job. I, uh, you can give me all the excuses you want. But shame on you. Because you go to bed every night, your stomach's full. Too full, maybe. You open your refrigerator, there's plenty of food there. You have your own room, most of you. And there's brothers and sisters who don't have it. And, and I don't care how, how little we think we have, most of us can find room to do something I know the compassion kids. And by the way, I'm not supported by compassion in any way, shape, or form. I'm just giving you some, uh, a vehicle. There's a lot of other things. You could adopt some family that you know about someplace else. I don't care how we do it. But I do know this, that a lot of us can do a lot more than we think. My, my, da my daughter, she was 11th grade. She's an 11th grader. She worked part-time at a hot dog stand in Hawaii. And she came home um, from a conference and we as a family have a couple of refrigerator kids and she goes, Dad, I want my own. I want to, I want to uh, sponsor Compassion Child. Hey, that's great, you know. Now remember, that's, I'm going, that's 35 bucks a month and you can't just start now. You're going to have to carry this kid all the way through till they graduate from high school. She goes, yeah, I know. I go, okay, I'm really proud of you. That's, that's great. Because I'm figuring, you know, she can afford 35 bucks a month. She goes, no, Dad, I want three. What? Being the spiritual giant of the family, I tried to talk her out of it. <clears throat> 
She goes, no, I've done the math. I go, you had a part-time job. She goes, look, I've already figured out what I need for gas and, and if, you know, to go to the movies once a month. I'm, yeah, I'm going to go to the movies only once a month. And I figured out what for new gas, and I'm, I'm not going to buy any new clothes. She said, you can buy new clothes for me when it's Christmas. <laughs> She's a, a, sophomore, a sophomore in college right now in California. Every summer when she comes home, she doesn't work during school. Every summer when she comes home, first thing she does is runs out and gets a job. She works while her college friends play in order to get money in the bank to sponsor three kids whose lives are being changed because one Christian took it seriously that their job is to give back out of the excess that God gave them. And she doesn't have much of an excess. You're feeling guilty? Good. Um, See, we wince a lot of times when money comes up because money has this potential to own people. It, it wants to own us. It wants to take us and grab us and own us. Look at the parable of the rich young ruler. He was owned. He couldn't follow Jesus because he was owned. And when G- Jesus knew his own, and Jesus' really request to him is, you've got to give up that master before you can follow this master. Remember how that passage ends? He walked away sad because he wanted both. And like Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one, hate the other. And maybe you'd be surprised at how well money owns us. By the way, it's the number one thing you fight about in a marriage. Statistically, that's what most, most fights are about finances. They're about money. They're about stuff. Okay? And you'd be surprised what people will do for money. I try to get this through to some of the high school kids that I work with. Um, I try to explain to them, you know, you, you will really... Do just about anything for money. I go, oh, no. I go, no, really, if, the, if you get offered enough, you'll be amazed at the disgusting things that you will do. And I remember if I did that with you guys when I spoke to you at camp, but um, the way I demonstrate that is I, I take off my shoe and I say, okay, listen, I want somebody to suck on my big toe. That's pretty disgusting. Who will do it? Nobody wants to do that, of course, voluntarily. And I go, okay. I'm willing to pay. Starting at five bucks. Who will suck, suck on my toe for five bucks? I've never paid more than 12. <laughs> and these are not from kids that don't have anything, you know? And it's disgusting. And all the kids are grossing out because it's just one dumb kid that forgot their money at home and they're, you know. It's a pretty clean toe. I would usually wash them every day. But, um, and, I, it's, and I know it's weird and rude and sort of, you know, kinky. But, um, but the reason that I do it, I'm trying to demonstrate a point that, look, you'll do ridiculous things. And what I tell the kids is this, is that for everyone in that room, it's a not, not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Because if I kept cranking the dollars up, and I wouldn't have to go very high with a, lot, with a room full of high school kids. If I kept cranking the dollars up, pretty soon each one of them would do the very thing they'd never thought they'd ever do or ever want to do because the price was right. And some of you know that you would do that too. I'd pay off your mortgage. There'd be a line. (laughs) Now, the Bible prescribes certain behaviors. Knowing that money will trap us, 
It describes certain behaviors that are designed to, to be a gut check for us about money. Okay? It knows that God knows that we are tight fisted and self centered, and we're greedy little SOBs, you know? We're greedy. I know this because the average believer gives about 3% believer, not church attender, believer, gives about 3% of their income to spiritual things. That's terrible. What does that say about what we believe in? You know, when you really believe in something, you know when you have a hobby that you're really into or a sport you're really into? You remember how much you, you dump into that? The stuff we're fired up and excited about, we invest, we invest, we go after it, we throw in, we're all in. Put a lot of time, put a lot of energy, put a lot of money. And the thing that would be the very core of who we are and what we believe, 3%? That's embarrassing. That's why some of the principles of giving out of the Bible are designed to be a mirror. We're told to give right off the top, Deuteronomy 18.4. This is instructions to Israel, but the principle remains. You must give the priest the first share of the harvest, of your grain, your olive, your fresh wine. You must also give the first wool you clip from your sheep. In other words, they, and there, by the way, there's a ton of scriptures about first fruits, they call it. You pick the best and the first, and that's what you give to God. Because God needs the best in the first? No, because he deserves the best in the first. You know, and and we used to want to give the, we usually want to give the last and the lame. In fact, in fact, a lot of times for many of us, even church stuff is like pay-per-view. You know? We give when we're there. We're not there not well. Many of us are, are chintzy and tight fisted. Giving for us, part of the rules for giving is it's supposed to be intentional. We don't just give because we feel like giving. We give because we are making a very intentional desire. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to invest. Paul writing to the Corinthians. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. And this is instruction for churches. On the first day of the week, by the way, the first day of the week was Sunday. First day of the week was the beginning of the work day for the early church. It was the equivalent of our Monday. They'd meet, church would meet before work, early, early in the morning. The first day of the work week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And that principle that we very intentionally set aside a specific amount keeping with our income. Notice he doesn't give a dollar amount here. That's because it's very understood that that Christians give sacrificially. We give enthusiastically because we're fired up about what's going to happen with those resources, the people whose needs are going to be met, the lives are going to be changed. And we give sacrificially. That's why the widow's mite was being held up. Remember? The gal that put in everything she had? And that's why Jesus stopped the show and goes, look, you guys all gave from your excess. Big deal. She gave everything. And he held her up as a model of sacrificial giving. People would be willing to do without. And we're supposed to get ourselves in a position when it comes to money where we don't have debts. And let me define debt for you. Debt is when your when your assets, I mean your liabilities outweigh your assets. Okay? When your liabilities outweigh in other words, where you can't you can't sell off your stuff 
and be in the clean. Scriptures teach this. Let no debt remain outstanding. Romans 13, 8. Except the continuing debt to love one another. Whoever loved one another, one another has fulfilled the law. In other words, we as Christians are, are the people who debt isn't part of our thing. By the way, if, if our nation ran on the principles of the Bible when it came to debt, what a different place we'd live in right now. Okay? Because the Bible teaches that we're not supposed to be in debt. And here's why. Debt is a chain around your leg. Debt keeps you from being able to do the things that maybe God really wants you to do. Well, I can't do that because I have all these bills to pay. I can't do that because I'm, I'm upside down on this or that. And, and it keeps us in check. Because when you've got to save up your money to buy something, it changes than when you can just go in and throw down the plastic. Any of you guys gone through Financial Peace University? Very good. Okay. For those of you who haven't, particularly those of you who find yourself in debt and you struggle with the, the debt monster, okay? Please try to get involved in, a, in one of those courses. It's really excellent. Financial Peace University. Okay, it's a it's a like twelve week deal that you can go through, but it it really is great biblical teaching on on how to get out of debt and how to manage money. But my point is simply this: is that that God doesn't want you to be in debt. He does not want you to be in debt, and and so I know mortgage. You can't just go out and you know throw down three hundred thousand dollars on a house. But don't buy a house that's going to, that you can't sell and get your money back out of it. Okay? That's the idea behind it. Debt is when your liabilities outweigh your assets. Right? And then choose. Choose to be generous with God. Nobody's going to come and make you be generous. We choose that. Choose to rich, enrich others who can't pay you back. Find people that you can give to. Give to them anonymously. Live simply. We ought to be the antidote to modern consumers and just buy stuff because they tell us we need it. How much do we really need? Sometimes walk into your garage. Sometimes go into your closet and open up the doors and just go, why did I buy this? I never wear it. Why did I? This thing's been hanging on the wall forever. We were, we're giant stuff collectors that we sell for a real bargain you know, at a garage sale ten years later, or five years later, or two months later sometimes. But we don't need all that stuff. We need to be more intentional. And so we intentionally live sim- more simply than the people who deal with the currency of this world. And, and see your money as a gift from God that me- you are merely a channel, and I am merely a channel. I'm a conduit for that money. In fact, try this experiment. Take a, a certain amount of money, what you can afford. If you're a kid, maybe it's 20 bucks. Okay? Scrape together 20 bucks, all the coins, get 20 bucks. If you're an adult, 100, 200 bucks, something you can afford. And, and take that money and carry it with you that you cannot spend on anything but blessing somebody else. And, and carry it around in your, in your pocket or your purse as your blessing money. As your blessing money. That, that you're, you're not going to rest easy till you've been able to just to do something for somebody else with that money. And that's what it's burning. It's burning a hole in your pocket. Not to buy stuff for you, but what can I do for somebody else? Can I, I'll buy a card for them. I'm going I'm to you know, pick up a latte for this person. I'm just going to do something for them to show them, shows them God's love. Help somebody out who's struggling with change at the grocery store in front of you. And you use that for money. See how that changes how you frame 
and money because when we have something and it's, and it's ours that we're supposed to invest and give away, it changes everything. So what I would suggest for this, for you guys, and for me, money for us ought to be a gift that God gives us that's designed first and foremost to be used by the rules of his kingdom economics. And yeah, we've got to take care of the needs of our family. Yeah, we have to eat. Yeah, we, we don't want to burden other people because we've been foolish with our economics. But more than anything, it's, it's designed to do good. So the next time you go to buy a car, maybe there's somebody, if you just went down a model, didn't buy the thing with all the doodads and sings to you every time you sit on the seat and you know stuff like that. Maybe if you bought something that was a few thousand dollars cheaper, but you had the money to spend even, but you took that extra couple thousand dollars and you bought a used car for some gal in your church who is a single mom and struggling with a piece of junk that breaks down so that she can have some reliable wheels. Or, or when you send your kid to college, you put a little money aside so some other kid in some other place gets a chance to go to school at all. Or maybe even as a community of faith, maybe you could, you could do something kind of different. I know that we've done this with our people. We picked, a, we picked one of our compassion kids who, who was graduating and wanted to go to college. And we as a community are putting that kid through college at, at a buck a person once a month. It's like 350 bucks to put a kid through college. In the Philip, this kid's in the Philippines. In fact, it's so cheap, I'm going to send my kids to the Philippines. Um, <laughs> but what we do together and what we do corporately with our money does make a difference in people's lives. Because if we can get this converted, if we can get this converted, you can't be amazed how different it will be for you what you won't fight about, what you won't stress about, what you won't worry about, and what you'll find used to chain you now gives you joy. Let's pray. Father, just thanks for giving us, even the poorest person in this room, giving us a bounty beyond what most people in this world experience. May we see that as a gift from you, a gift that's to be shared. May you dig around in those private places where we would like to hide and, and, and grasp and free our hands to do your good work through the things you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you guys. It's been great.